Sean, quick question. Have you ever seen Rob Zombie's undisputed masterpiece, House of 1,000 Corpses? I don't think I have. Huh. Well, I mean, I know that you're going under the knife next week. I am. And um, I would recommend waiting until after your procedure to see that particular film. Is somebody going to eat my appendix, you think? Saddle up the mule, Ma! <laughs> oh, no. So I don't really go in for, like, the deep, dark, scary horror movies, although I love this time of year. In fact, today's podcast is all about the glories of Halloween, both in the sort of milder, esoteric interpretations and the truly dark and disturbing interpretations. Um, that particular song right there comes from the soundtrack of House of a Thousand Corpses, which, again, is not for everyone, but again, I would like you to watch it, but not until after your procedure. You're going for a relatively minor procedure, right? Well, that's what I thought, but then people keep telling me it's awful, and it's worse than most. You know, that's what happens when you have anything done. People are like, oh, I have a horror story for you. I'm sure you're going to be fine. So I'm, I'm having my appendix out, and they're taking a little bit of my colon as well. So whoa, the nurse whoa, goes, what the, part? So the nurse goes, uh, you can have a semicolon. <laughs> I was like, you, you, how many fucking times have you told that joke? That's not bedside <laughs> manner. No, That's it's not, not cool. But it does fit with the Halloween vibe. It does. It is the Brian Oak Show podcast, episode 190. I can't even see. You've, you've truncated everything. 95 or 96? Uh, this should be 196. 96. Unbelievable. 196 episodes of doing this, recording it here now in the Smart Start MN studio in South Minneapolis on what might be literally the perfect autumn day. I know I say that a lot, but I mean, you were outside, right? Not one single cloud, plenty of sunshine, 61 degrees. Leaves are turning. We live in one of the most beautiful spots on planet Earth. It's gorgeous out there right now. It was a little chilly and windy for me this morning. I'll take 70 and just like this. That's my probably my perfect temperature. Well, see you next spring, okay? Because that's not happening no, you're anymore. Right. It's right. over. <laughs> no, well, Monday is supposed to be closer to yeah. 70, but this is my time of year. I love it so much, not just for the attitude and everything else, but for the season that we're entering and for the comfort. I, again, I slept with my windows open last night, woke up this morning a little too chilly, so I reached over and grabbed another comforter, and it was absolutely perfect. The Brian Oak Show podcast is made possible by our friends at Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN, the original ignition interlock company. What does that mean? If you or someone you know or love gets a DUI, that is a stone bummer. There's no question about that. That is one of the worst things that can happen in your life. And like, avoid it, right? Like, Never call them. But if it does happen, there's not anybody who's going to get you back in your vehicle faster than Smart Start MN. Yeah, right now what you have in your vehicle is called Dumb Start. <laughs> Well, it's just it's just my key. Oh, it is. It's yeah. not, it's not dumb start. No, it's not okay. dumb start. Okay. Smart Start MN. They are the ones who were there at the beginning of the ignition interlock program here in Minnesota. They worked with the legislature. They worked with the judiciary. They are lawyers who know how to get you back in your vehicle sooner and for less money than you otherwise might. Don't get a DUI. Just fucking don't but if you do these are the people you have to call and they're cool they're music heads they're nice people and they will help you out for a lot less than you might expect smart start mn slash brian oak show and they'll get you 20 percent off the ignition interlock system you need inside your vehicle the installation of the ignition interlock exactly right yes, thank you yes, very much yes. for the clarification i also want to thank audio quip you know while they're not necessarily a technical sponsor of this show from day one before day one they jumped on board and and provided us with professional quality equipment 
for no good reason. I mean, Nate and his crew, they're amazing people. There's no reason they should have been like, I'm sure it's going to be a great podcast. No problem. Let's get in there. Let's <laughs> let's be part of this like you fools. What were you thinking? But thank you so much for your unending and endearing support. It's been wonderful the entire way. And AudioQuip survived. I mean, you know, Nate made a jump at one point in his life. He's like, I got a brand new baby on the way. Four years I'm, ago, yeah. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to start a new endeavor and getting it off the ground. Any new entrepreneurial endeavor is always difficult then along came a global pandemic it's been a weird time for them but they are great people as well please if you need podcasting or broadcasting or live performing equipment audio quip and there's a few of them out there imitators once again here in minnesota they're really good people please help them out if you can um because they are good even if you have a ted talk to give i don't know if they have those little microphones that strap onto the side of your face like where like you Britney tape Spears them to your face. exactly yeah. But you know what? If not, I know they know would be able to help you uh, help you find out where to get them. So they're good people. Help them out if you can. Halloween is coming. Are you familiar with that, Sean? I'm very familiar with it. Are you a fan at all of Halloween? I love it, and I really, really used to get into it. I have a question for you. Like, what is what is your kind of scary movie? Do you like the stuff that could potentially happen, or do you just like the crazy out there? Halloween movies. So I don't really dig the slasher stuff. I can I can watch it, but that's not really to me what scary is about. To me, that's like that's like watching the videos that PETA shares about like, you know, inside a, a rendering plant and that kind of stuff. That I mean it's obviously horrific, but it's not my favorite. No, mine is the what was that over there? What was that over there? Like yeah. the the sort of slow build suspense sure. or even the slow burn. I love Rosemary's baby. Oh yeah. I mean Oof. I, I I like the old Hammer horror movies from the late 60s and early 70s, mm-hmm. but I also like things like John Carpenter. Like, I love Halloween. John Carpenter yeah. wrote his own music for his shows, right? I mean, John Carpenter was also a great director. Now, his later stuff, not quite as scintillating, but the early stuff was fantastic. I like the things that make me feel uncomfortable without forcing me to look at someone's insides. You know, like, I don't love the Saw movies. In yeah. fact, I don't I don't like them at all. How about you? What do you like? You know, I would say that The Shining would probably encapsulate it for me. Oh. Now, without without some of the the magic and the things like that, just the idea that you can go, you know, your father says to you, hey, let's go to this uh, resort. We're going to watch it over the winter to make some money. I'm going to be able to write. And then dad loses his shit and kills the family. Because, you know, that can happen. I mean, that that's the kind of horror film I like, where someone just completely turns. Yeah. And then suddenly kill, tries to kill everybody. You've had your whole fucking life to think about things. I don't see what good a couple more minutes is going to do you now. Give me the bat, Wendy. Give me the bat. <laughs> oh, God. That movie, I know, I know people who think that movie, because it's such a slow burn, they hate that movie. God damn, I love The Shining. One of the greatest. Also, so when I was talking about John Carpenter, The Thing where they slowly are turning on each other in paranoia where no one really knows what's happening and suddenly you suspect everyone around you and there's no one that can be trusted and everything's up for grabs. That's also absolutely terrifying. Absolutely. Mm. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. We have a great guest today who has been a DJ in the Twin Cities for a very long time, musician as well. 
But the reason I asked him to join me today is that he is an aficionado of the music of this time of year. For whatever reason, I don't know when. You know, I'm not like the deep goth guy. I'm not like the guy liner guy. I'm just, I'm not that guy. But I've always enjoyed the music of Halloween, whether we're talking about the profane, the truly dark, or whether we're talking about the sort of enjoyable, entertaining, whether we're talking about the old school or the new school. People who embrace this time of year, I've always loved. Now, he likes a lot of other kind of music. That, that I like as well, but I don't know that I've ever met anybody who also shares the sort of same sort of bizarre fascination with the music that exemplifies this time of year that I do. And so we're going to hear a bunch of his selections coming up just ahead. I'm very much looking forward to talking to Dean Vicaro. But before we get to Dean, I do have one song I want to play first. And this one, a little more lighthearted unless you really listen to the lyrics. And then, Mm. beware. Johnny Otis, also known as the Johnny Otis Show, was a band leader, an actor, a producer, a director, uh, a musician from the West Coast. And he did all of it. He had a big band. He had dozens of small ensembles. And he wrote all kinds of music. He was not necessarily a Halloween guy. But back in this era, you had everybody had to have a Halloween novelty song. Everybody had to have one. It wasn't an option. And the thing, the one fun fact I know about Johnny Otis is Frank Zappa, who I'm not a huge fan of, said his facial hair model was modeled after Johnny Otis. But Johnny Otis was cool, man. Born in 1921. By the time the big band thing rolled around, he was right there. But he was like the coolest end of it. Anyway, the Johnny Otis show with Cast of My Spell on The Brian Oak Show. And threw them in a pot, 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 pot I took a blue snake, a green snake And tied them in a knot, 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 knot I took a hawk jaw, a dog's paw And hung them on the line, 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 line I took a horse hair, a green pear And made a crazy sign, 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 sign I'm casting my spell on you I'm casting my spell on you I'm casting my spell on you You'll never, never be untrue A goat's tooth, an old shoe, and put them in the ground, 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 ground. I took an old dish, a dry fish, and made a crazy sound, 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 sound. I took a goose egg, a frog leg, and hit them in a sack, 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 sack. I got a Hindu to tattoo, a genie on my back, 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 back. I'm casting my spell on you. I'm casting my spell on you. I'm casting my spell on you. You'll never, never be untrue. Hey. them in the pot, 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 pot. I took a blue snake, a green snake, and tied them in a knot, 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 knot. I took a hawk jaw, a dog's paw, and hung them on the line, 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 line. I took a horse hair, a green pear, and made a crazy sign, 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 sign. I'm casting my spell on you. I'm casting my spell on you. I'm casting my spell on you. You'll never, never be untrue. 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 
Mm, man, do I like that song. And again, it's fun. It's upbeat. It's fun to dance to. Here's the whole point of today's show. We're doing nothing but going deep on Halloween music. Now, is it by, by the, like, is it the definitive Bible of it? Absolutely not. But I think that today's guest and I share this view that, you know what? Monster Mash is fine. Thriller is fine. Ghostbusters is fine. But if you really dive deep, to me, there's a laziness involved. It's much like people who say, all rap music sucks. All country music sucks. All polka music sucks. Nope, it means that you haven't dug deep enough. There's so many good, beautiful, undiscovered golden nuggets out there in every genre, which is why I'm happy to introduce Dean Vaccaro. Now, Dean has been a fixture in Twin Cities music for a very long time. Not trying to age you there, man, but I mean, you've been DJing since the 80s, is that right? Yeah, 84. 84. All right. So, well, first of all, hello, Dean. How are you, man? Hello. And I'm sorry I said Vicaro before. I, you know, pronunciation, not always my strong suit, even though I've been doing this a long time. So you start DJing in the Twin Cities here back in 1984. And again, I, I want to make this episode about the music, but I feel like I, there's an obligation to say hello and to meet you and get to know you. Where are you from? I am born in Ohio, Toledo, Ohio, but okay. I grew up, grew up in Wyzetta. Okay, and so how? What, at what point do you move? What point are you no longer Ohio? You're in Minnesota. Uh, I was like six, five or six. Okay, years. a long time yeah. ago. So you're always here. Now you grew up, and I know that you've also played bands in, uh, in played in bands and played instruments as well. A long time ago, yeah. Well, again, again, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to make that the focus, but I mean, so, but music comes before DJing, yeah. Yeah, and yes. Okay, and DJing is, I mean, let's be honest, if you want to go back to the early 60s and talk about, you know, Jamaica and stuff like that, DJing was obviously a thing early on, and there have always been DJs on the radio and out at the sock hops and that kind of stuff, but in terms of DJing in clubs and being a DJ, you know, 84 is not that far removed from sort of the genesis of when that happened, whether we're talking hip-hop, whether we're talking funk, whether we're talking cool, icy electro, whatever we're talking about, when's the first time you're like i want to be on the turntables you know um i when i was in playing in bands you know through college and before you know we just did a lot of parties we were just a cover band basically mm-hmm. some originals but what was the name of the band uh, we won't go into that but <laughs> come on man i love embarrassing no, names of early no. bands though too so embarrassing anyway, okay so anyway okay, okay. uh anyway wow um, must have been really so yeah. we, anyway we're playing, playing frat parties and high school parties and stuff like that and right. and, and so i think i i just inherently sort of new, you know, we'd change our set list on the fly depending on how it was working. I mean, it's kind of what a DJ does, you know, you're, you know, pick well, a, you a club play DJ. It by ear, right? Yeah. So anyway, I just got into, um, I was really into music and while I was a musician, I loved going to the nightclubs, First Avenue, and there was a place called Graffiti's that I frequented in college. Graffiti's. And, um, <laughs> I was that, never there. Well, you remember it? Yeah. Okay. That's, that that's, that's where I started. Too. I was a DJ wow. in Graffiti, so uh-huh. one, one of them. But, uh, you know, I, I just was going to the club and, um, it, you know, DJing wasn't like it is today. I mean, your name wasn't on a marquee. You weren't, you know, doing a set of, you know, an hour long set that different club you, know, you just it was like it was almost like being a bartender i think you know well you showed up with the crater records and well, people were like well there's the guy playing the music over there and it, it wasn't like you were the star right of the well, night. and you were providing the atmosphere yeah and even then uh, we weren't bringing a crater records the club had the records the club oh, had wow. you know yeah. and and i'd work you know in in a club five nights a week different different genres on different nights you mm-hmm. know sometimes 
Um, and so, again, I, I don't want to dive too deep into it because yeah. we have a lot of music to get to. But so when you talk about different genres, like, I mean, like a place like Graffiti's, like back then, I remember the first avenue in the earliest mm-hmm. days. You know, there was Electro Night, there was Funk Night, sure. there was Dance Night, there was about. all that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, so, I mean, is that the kind of different stuff you're talking about? Like, you yeah. show up at Graffiti's and tonight is Funk Night, tonight is Hip Hop Night, tonight is whatever night. Well, that was, uh, that, that came a little bit later. Graffiti's was kind of. Uh, I know on uh, Monday nights and earlier in the week, they went a little deeper and sort of new wave and, you know, uh, the cure and new order and right pop stuff. Yeah. Um, and we did that on the weekends, too. But we ventured ventured more into, um, you know, the R&B, the 80s, you know, Midnight Star and Cameo and Prince and, you know, whatever. No parking, baby. No yeah. parking on oh, the dance yeah. floor. That's still in my sets. When I'm, <laughs> of course I'm it is because it's a jam. Yeah. Where was it exactly? I'm trying to remember. It's where it was it, upstairs of Sheik's, and okay. which is now okay. a strip club. But it yeah. was on. Right. Uh, it's on uh, Fifth, maybe. Yeah, fourth, right. Fourth, 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 fourth and fourth, second. Fourth, yep. 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 And uh, so I worked Sheik's too, and that was that was straight R and B and disco. And and let's be honest, like so again, just to make sure people are clear. No shame in that strip club game, but at the time, Sheik's was a, a nightclub, it was a not disco, a strip yeah. club. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Pretty nice place, to event center. I mean, like, nicer than I ever would have gone to. Like, I didn't have clothes nice enough to wear into Sheik's. I mean, people people got dressed to the nines to go out to Sheik's, yeah. didn't they? it was a different era. Yeah. I mean, so and so you're out there, and you're playing the best of the stuff, and I mean, people are out for a real night. There's a there's a pressure. I think a lot of people think, you know, as we've seen, the, the role of DJ evolve, right, right? is, you you know, it's either it's either you're the rock star at Coachella in front of a hundred thousand people, or you're you know you're like the the deep drum and bass guy that like nobody understands, or you're uh, what's the guy with half a head of hair? Why can't I think of his name? I don't uh, even know. Skrillex. Thank oh, yeah. you very much. <laughs> nice. That's what I'm thinking of. I mean, being a DJ has evolved a great deal over the. And you didn't also have to be, you know, one of the the underground kings from Brooklyn either. There are a lot that DJs evolved in a lot of different ways, and right. you were there kind of along that entire evolution. Yeah, it was um, right in the era of, um, you know, the hip hop scene in, in New York. The whole, uh, you know, tagging trains and break dancing and that sort of thing and, and which and, it's hard for people to imagine today but i was there as well and i remember that was new that yeah. was exciting i remember the first time my friend tony who i know that you worked with briefly at rogue he played for me run dmc when i was a 16 year old in high school i'm yeah. like the fuck yeah. is this yeah, we were playing all that too I, yeah. that, and that's that's crazy stuff so i mean you're you're following that on the way up so yeah so anyway so i'm going to this club and i'm starting to watch these djs and really it, it's not you know it's just you don't know who they are they're not talking they're just mixing music, you know, and there's a skill to that. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, by the way, a way more difficult skill than the average it's sort of everyday person. Like I could DJ. No, you cannot. Yeah, it, it takes. It, I mean, like anything. What did you? What was that thing you said the other day when we talked to someone? How many hours do you have to put in to be good at something? Ten thousand hours. Ten. I mean, yeah. so and maybe not quite that much, but you don't just get to walk up with your two twelve hundreds and be like, "I can do this." Right. I mean, like it takes real work. And then there's a skill. I, I not to go too deep into it, but uh, of the song choice. I mean, you know, yes. I, I always I always argued that, you know, someone could get those technical skills of beat mixing down in their bedroom, and say, "I'm a DJ." You know, well, no, if you're just getting that part down, you're missing the whole play into a crowd i mean because you have to put in the hours doing that before you can know what to do next and how to su- switch it up and you're doing it on the fly i mean that's the that's the biggest thing and you whether know? we're talking about being a dj or being in the corporate boardroom or being you know making a bagel at brugger's reading the room is one of the most crucial and overlooked human skills on this planet in my humble opinion 
even sitting in this room right here. Like, I mean, you got to read the room. You mm-hmm. have to pay attention. You you watch the cues. If you play a song that you're like, this one might be a little edgy, and suddenly the crowd gets electric, you're like, oh, well, then maybe I can go here. Mm-hmm. And so that ability to adapt is not, it, it, there's not a book for it, right? I mean, that's in your gut. I, that's the, I, I think that's the number one, If you know, I mean, that's the job of DJ. That right. is the, that is the number one job because you can beat mix or not. You could drop a song in cold, but it's this wrong, if it's the wrong song, you know. Suddenly the, the it, floor goes it, empty. Yeah, yeah. It's they're all going painful. to get drinks. It's yeah. physically painful if the right. floor empties and the general manager or owner is staring you down as you pray for the song to end. Although I will say this: one. sometimes they wanted you to clear the floor. Sometimes they'd get mad at us because we kept yeah. it packed because then they like, go to the we bar. We need to yes. sell some drinks. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Let's exactly. slow it down a little bit. Yeah. Really, so, they, they so come so and tap you on the shoulder. You, it's a it's an it's an ebb and flow. You have to you have to do that. But ultimately, you want to keep that momentum going. Exactly. Well, and you've done a lot of other things as well, and we're going to talk about those. Okay. But today's show is primarily about Halloween music. I brought you in because you and I have a shared love of collecting holiday music. We have talked over social media and in person many times that we both have sort of this preternatural love of, for whatever reason, maybe just because we're music dorks, right, of collecting Halloween music and Christmas music, maybe other holidays as well, but for me, it's primarily Halloween and yeah, Christmas, and I've got, I've got a huge thing of both, um, and I, I love that. What appeals to you about the whole vibe of Halloween? Well, I mean, like you guys, I, I always got into it, and and uh, I'm not so, so much a horror movie person i mean if, if i do it's it's maybe the early frankenstein kind mm-hmm. of stuff and the right? stuff that visually kind of looks spooky it's carnival of souls and stuff like that, oh, that looks real spooky you know I mean? right yeah, but I do. um but uh i used to do uh but starting right about in the 80s right when i started djing uh my roommates and i used to throw huge halloween parties um you know every annually at mm-hmm. our house you know mm-hmm. get a couple of kegs and and everyone dresses up and so i made the i made the playlist for for those right? right and and i wasn't djing live i was at the party so i um i made cassette mixes yep. of yeah, halloween let, let's music. be clear in the 80s there was not a spotify there, no there was not no. any of oh, no. i mean you would have to craft that, that mix in advance from your records exactly you know yeah and so uh so i made four 90 minute cassette tapes of halloween music and, right. it, and it varied from you know goth and darker stuff it's 80s heavy because that's what we were listening to at the time right and it fit you know um sisters of mercy and the damned oh, and, huh. and all that stuff but then it had kind of fun stuff too oingo boingo you know great halloween music from yeah halloween. and um and so we had this party every year and i had those tapes every year so even after they got outdated it was still my halloween music and ultimately i put that all on a vhs so you would get six hours or whatever i just, yeah. just dubbed it all onto a vhs tape and used that so i never had to flip a tape you know i just put pop it in and set it and party right also, nice. there wasn't like 15 minutes of nothing and people like <laughs> yeah dean where's exactly. the music exactly i'm just having a conversation and <laughs> yeah all right, exactly. well, before we talk more about that i share your love i've also been going to a diehard halloween party for decades where you're not allowed to show up with a sheet thrown over your head you better pay attention you better do a good job halloween freaking matters yeah. we're going to continue right now your first choice today is guitar party tell me about guitar party. oh no 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 it's uh it's uh, oh no, it's not. It's it, rhythm heritage. Rhythm heritage. Who I know nothing about, but my love of disco knows no boundaries. Okay, well this is this is a good one because um, I I saw this online. Um, I couldn't hear it. I couldn't find it anywhere online. But it's rhythm heritage is a, a disco band that uh, did a lot of covers like the SWAT disco version, SWAT theme. You know, uh, 
I don't even remember, but basically, yeah, a lot no, of- that's all on. The, by the way, that's all on Spotify. I was looking for this yeah. on Spotify. This track you picked is not, but all of their other sort of yeah. covers of popular right. culture are available. Right. So anyway, I found out there. There's a 45 of this. It's a, it's the theme to Young Frankenstein in a disco version. Um, and like I said, I couldn't find it. I found it on Discogs. I I, I spent a small fortune for it, <laughs> unheard, mind you, wow. because I had to hear it. Right. And so this is a a vinyl rip um, from that 45.
so I'm a big Euro disco, disco collector, and the, the difference between American disco from the same era is the waka waka funk factor is through the freaking roof, Dean. That was great. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, no, I, I'm also a fan. Rhythm Heritage is the name of the band, and now I've got homework, and I love homework, like sound soundtrack stuff and that kind of stuff. I mean, that band went to number one with their cover of the theme from SWAT in 1976. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah. It was a very different world back then, wasn't it? Dean uh, Vaccaro is our guest, and we'll talk to him more momentarily. First, a couple sponsors to take care of. First and foremost, the man, the myth, the legend, the man whose idea was to do the Brian Oak Show podcast some 196 episodes ago. You fool. You fool, Sean Bernard. Sean Bernard, in addition to being a friend and a colleague, is also a realtor for Edina Realty, 50th and France location, House Tricks. They're good. I actually just went, uh, this is one of the coolest things that's happened to me, I think, in my real estate life is uh, a client, uh, Travis, we helped him uh, buy my aunt's house, actually. He came to an open house. I ended up representing him on the buy side, I was representing my aunt on the uh, sell side. I always get my client clients gifts, and then I also donate to a local uh, musician or band with every buy and sell. But in the mail, I suddenly got this incredible gift from my client, and it was dinner for two, where he's an owner at Petit Leon Restaurant on 38th and Nicollet in South Minneapolis, where the old Blackbird was. We're just giving the stuff away now. Yeah, we're giving it away. Uh, that's fine. That's my I was just commercial. Choking, man. I, was, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. That's fair. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. So we had an incredible meal, but I said to my wife, how cool is that? You know, you help somebody buy a house and, you know, you do a donation, you get them some stuff, but I'm not, I'm not used to clients giving me gifts for helping them out. Had an incredible meal there last night. Just want to say uh, thank you to uh, Travis and hope he, hopefully he enjoys his, uh, his new home. 612-859-2594. That number is also textable. I also would like to thank our most recent sponsor who's jumped on board, the Forgotten Star Brewing Company in Fridley, Minnesota. Now, Fridley may, for those of you who have not drifted north very often, sound like it's an awfully long ways away. It's not Ham Lake. No. It's not Forest Lake. It's right there on the fringe of the metro, and it's a really cool facility. The guys behind Forgotten Star, they don't go out of their way to overart the cre- the products they create. I don't think there's anything with coriander in it that I'm no, familiar with. No. Uh, nothing with, you know, possum tail in it or anything like that. Um, <laughs> they tried the possum tail, but it just didn't, it didn't score well. In they're the open every day of the week from noon on, and they've got a very comfortable facility. They've got a great outdoor area. The weather this weekend and really in the near future looks awfully nice for autumn. It's not turned yet. I just saw someone share a post on social media earlier today that one year ago today, it was snowing in the Twin Cities. Yes, it was. Not today. It is, it's beautiful outside today. Sunny, we'll see a high in the lower 60s, which to me, again, is perfect. If you want to keep it like this every day, feel free, but that's not the case. In the meantime, if you're thirsty, if you'd like somewhere to go with your friends or your dog, as they are dog-friendly both inside and out, Forgotten Star Brewing in Fridley, ForgottenStarBrewing.com for all the details on upcoming events and specials and everything they've got in the pipe. Right now we're talking to Dean Vicaro because Halloween is coming. I like Halloween. So growing up, Dean, did you, I mean, I know you like the music of Halloween. You like the, the atmosphere and the aspect of it and, and pleasing people through being a DJ. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, even if you're not front and center on main stage, it's your job to provide the atmosphere. Did you enjoy Halloween growing up? Did you do oh, the yeah. costume thing? I mean, oh, was absolutely. Your jam? I, I made a big deal out of it every year. And yeah, then, me too. And then even into, I mean, 
I guess no no shame here. Yeah. Uh, even into my college and DJ years, you know, I mean, I I had to dress up for for work. My God, you know? I'm in my fifties, man. I still dress up every right. year when I, I mean, go into there work. Were, there yeah. were some years when I would have three different costumes for you know because I always had my annual home party too. Yeah. yeah. So I would you know dress up for you know that weekend at the club and uh-huh. then Halloween was maybe on Saturday and then my party or my you know whatever I it was just sometimes there were three nights out of four that I was wearing a different costume well you know? people who don't understand the professional nature of when you really love Halloween like all right I want to be in a cool costume but I also have the practical reality of having to DJ you can't be in some overly cumbersome right. costume right you you can't be the robot from the future that's the more either restrained one or one yeah. that has your hands open so you can do your work and you can see out of it no i i get it man like i mean there's times where i'm like all right i'm going to work but yeah. i'm wearing this costume but now i'm going to the halloween party and it's time to scare some freaks yeah 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 no it's is always fun always fun in high school you know i was dressing up like kiss and with my buddies and and i mean it was always a big production my costumes all all from when i was real young i know you're a kiss guy who's your favorite which one are you an ace guy oh god <laughs> no <laughs> i'm i'm a i'm a old kiss fan i mean i'm i'm i well welcome to the club yeah i guess i guess no no no. you know what i'm saying i i I, i'm not that much of a fan anymore i understand okay so but you it's a fun costume to be in can i ask you which character you like yes i i was always a big ace guy yeah because ace space ace is the guy right yeah, I didn't know I was touching on a touchy subject. No, man. it's I just apologize. because it's funny. Everyone associates me as being a Kiss fan, and I just couldn't. You know, I, I dislike them really, to be honest. With but you are. I mean, so why? Yeah. So then, then let me ask you this. Yeah. This is a good question. Why, if you're not really a fan and you don't really dig the music, I like the old stuff. I like seventies Kiss. Why, yeah. Well, I mean, like let's be honest. Pre Dynasty, right? I mean, yeah, like, exactly. Dynasty was the beginning of the end. And we Absolutely. all know that. But I mean, like, so, but, but you're like reticent to uh, address it. Like, so, but let me ask you this. Why do people associate you with Kiss if you're not really a Kiss guy? You know, I don't know because, you know, Mm. but you know, people are posting Kiss stuff on, you know know what I mean? Just because I do, I think I do. You know, but I was a Kiss fan. Don't get me wrong, and I was a huge Kiss fan in like junior high. You know, yeah, and it well, sort of stuck with me. Good luck. I mean, sorry, <laughs> good luck shaking that because apparently yeah. you haven't yet. I mean, I moved away. I moved away from that. Like you say, <laughs> Dynasty. You know, yeah. No, 1980. It's over. I was. It's that, over. By then, it was Adam Ant. You know, yeah. for me, and you well, know, the that world kind of changed thing. a Ultra lot rock. at that time. Yeah. And speaking of changes, so you are a DJ in the early to mid 80s, early, like, so you worked at Rogue, and I had a friend mm-hmm. or two that worked at Rogue as well, but you also make music. So you made music early on, bands that you apparently refused to talk about right. and refused to acknowledge, <laughs> but then you're part of a very interesting collective for a long time that is part DJ, part tiki, part chill, part groovy. Is that a, is that an accurate way to describe Tambuka? Uh, uh, no, t- I would leave tiki out of Tambuka. Would you Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there were congas in there. Yeah, but that's not tiki. <laughs> I would call it more Latin percussion kind okay, of Latin right. edge. And again, I'm not trying to paint you into no, a no, corner no. by any means. I'm just such a huge Martin Denny fan. I wanted to throw that. Uh, in there. Well, I did so that. I did that too. But that was not part of Tambuca. Okay. Well, so let, let, then tell me, tell okay. me the transition. How does Tambuca come to be? Okay. And please include the tiki part of the story. Well, there's no part. It's a separate story. But I can tell you. Oh, then let's save that for later. Let's okay. Save that for later. Okay. So uh, Tambuca, basically, uh, my longtime friend and dj partner jesus juice otherwise known as tim schweitzer mm-hmm. um was a dj main room first avenue at the time and had me guesting with him often we were djing from the main stage or from the side of the club whatever you know moving the spot around i guess it does kind of overlap with the tiki because at the time i was doing a totally separate thing at the front 
uh, at Ground Zero, yep. where it was a tiki mm-hmm. theme kind of cocktail hour. What was great, I used to work over in that area, mm-hmm. Clean Water Action Alliance, before any of the restaurants or Lunds or anything had moved in. That was where Masu is now, right? Exactly. I remember. Masu is yep. where I used to work. Yeah. Every time I go in there, I'm like, I used to call people up and ask them for their money for the Clean Water Act <laughs> uh, in that place. That that area was a hovel. The ground and, and the front and ground zero were one of the only vibrant things over there other than the bank and Certix. Right. Otherwise, it was old, boarded up adult bookstores. I mean, that area and the entire block that Masu is on was nothing. Everything was boarded up. That area was shit. Yeah. And then we've watched it transform over the last 20 years. But So you go back to the old school beginning of the front and ground zero and you were doing a tiki thing down right. there. Right. So I came up with this tiki idea and I thought, you know, I didn't even do it under my own name because I thought I'm going to ruin my career. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was so off the wall, but it turned out to be huge. And right. I was right on the cusp of this whole tiki, you know, cocktail culture kind of thing. The lounge right? revolution, man. Yeah. And so... Um, so I was doing that, and I was bringing in uh, a couple of friends to play bongos or whatever, just on, just to add to the atmosphere. And then at the same time, I'm DJing, playing just deep house music, and uh, with Tim at First Avenue, right? And he was bringing in sometimes uh, like a sax player or a horn player to add on top of that. And mm. he said, you know, someday we're gonna we're gonna just bring it all together. He and I were DJing together, like with four turntables. I mean, we were playing together, you know. Wow. And um, so. He said, one time we're just going to bring it all together. So I brought my conga player in and and uh, he brought horn players in and we had four turntables and we had it all on the main stage Saturday night at First Man. Avenue and it was it was huge. It Bonkers. was fun and yeah. everyone loved it. So we were so the musicians basically don't know what we're going to play. have probably never heard half of what we're going to play. And we're just DJing like we would DJ to the room. At First Avenue, you know, on a Saturday night, right. and they're just sort of hanging on for dear life, you know, and <laughs> and it's different every time. We, you know, we played, we've been doing it for over twenty years now. It's few and far between these days, but right, um, we've, ne- I mean, twenty years, and we've never had one rehearsal. I mean, it's just always just go, always just see your pants, you know. Jesus Christ, I mean, it's it's, it's terrifying and awesome at was, the same time. It's right? pretty fun. It, it 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 is fun. You know, we do uh, corporate stuff now and here and there, but uh, so you not many options for the public to see us or even hear that we're doing stuff but we're still not right now it. right the world is changing yeah. right before we go any further we have to play more hollow. yeah yeah yeah. Sorry i build this as a hollow no 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 this is this stuff is fascinating to me because i didn't make it out to a lot of those things and i love it and if somebody asked me you know yesterday what do you know about tambuca and be like oh man that arthur lyman fucking martin denny shit i love those guys <laughs> they're all about hawaiian shirts and volcanoes that's their no, whole no. jam yeah <laughs> I would never do that to you. Number two, uh, a guy who plays with literally every single person who's in town, Jeremy Ilvesacker, has a combo with a family member called Guitar Party. Tell me about the song we're going to hear. Uh, I don't know much about the song other than it's his daughter. It's Jeremy's yeah. daughter, and they posted it on Bandcamp, and I think it's brilliant. Well, when he was in last time, he played a song first. like, would you like to hear a song no one's ever heard before? I'm like, yeah. And there was an edge, and there was a crunch, and it was gigantically amazing. Why is this one good for Halloween? Well, it's it's called it's about Halloween. Obviously, it's called Pumpkins, Eyeballs, Candy. Mm. And you know, it's funny. Uh, I was poking around today just before this, and found that there's another song up there on Bandcamp that they put up more recently called Robot Worms. So you might want to check that one out too. But uh, but this is straight up fun. It reminds me of almost like. Um, you know, Danny Elfman's stuff for uh, Nightmare Before Christmas kind of vibe to it. It's sort of, you know, childlike and fun and spooky and weird. Zombies, mummies, goblins, bats, and witches on the broomsticks. 
Right, that actually, for Halloween, warmed my heart so deeply. Like, I mean, if you don't know Jeremy Ilvesacker, he's played with virtually everyone in town, right? I mean, he's he's sort of the go-to guitar slinger, but he's got such kindness and a warmth and this sort of, um, what's the right word? This ability to adapt. He's so good at everything. The fact that he decided to do, how old do you think his daughter is there, roughly? Yeah, I don't know, maybe 10 or 8 or something I, i'm not even sure now that was in i think 2017 my daughter means so much to me and she now is going to be well in very short order in a very near amount of time turning 23 the thought of enjoying something like that with your daughter that's incredible and they're called guitar party when he was on here he played a song for us that sounded about as cool as anything i've heard in the last five years and you told me there's another song you heard yeah just that robot worms i just heard it this morning when i was poking around on the band camp there on their band camp site but uh, yeah you can I think Pumpkin's Eyeballs Candy, I think, is a name your price even. So you could just go grab that. And the other one is like a dollar. We've talked about this before, you and I. Like, we both love to collect holiday music, right? And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I don't mind people not diving deep. It's not everyone's job, right? But if you're a music head at all, which I have to imagine a good chunk of the people who bother listening to the Brian Oak Show this far in are, you know, again, the standards. Your Ghostbusters are fine. Your Thriller is fine. There's just, there's so much out there. Like, if you have a Halloween party, if you even just want to sit around at night while the kids are coming around gathering candy or get in the mood for the holiday, it's almost unfathomable how much is out there that no one's ever touched before. Right. I wanted to mention, too, you mentioned Thriller, Ghostbusters, and um, uh, Monster Mash. Those literally... They're great. When I started this playlist for the parties back when I started doing it and collecting Halloween music to add to... Um, it, it was almost defined by it's not going to be those three songs. I mean, that's kind of that was sort of my only rule is that I'm not playing the Monster Mash at my at my 
at my party. And again, I don't want to be <laughs> you know that guy. I mean? Like, I'm not the guy that's too cool for any one thing. But yeah. I mean, you you can't walk into a store at Halloween time. Right. It's like a lot of the most basic Christmas music, right? Yeah. And you are coming back, by the way, to do this again for Christmas. Yeah. Maybe more than Absolutely. once. Um, you, you, you can't go anywhere without hearing Monster Mash. And Thriller, I was there when it erupted. It's the number one album of all time. We've all heard Thriller 10,000 times. Right. And so I, I'm not mad at you when you say... Anything but these, th- move in the other direction. Find out what else is out there. Whether you're going like deep, scary, spooky stuff by the Misfits, or whether you're going old school, weird R and B stuff, or yeah, there's there's so much it's else out, out there. there. It's yeah. out there. Yeah. So you and I have. We're going to do a little back to back set right here because I want to get this Halloween music in, uh, where we are both going to go with songs about a Halloween party that could have gone better. Right. Or, I mean, again, you go to a Halloween party, you never really know what's going to happen. You've chosen the Jazz Butcher, which I'm going to be honest, I listened to a lot of Jazz Butcher throughout the 80s into the 90s, then lost the thread. My connection to Jazz Butcher was I was such a deep freak about Bauhaus and Love and Rockets. I knew that David J went into Jazz Butcher and I had a friend who loved them. And so I heard a bunch of songs. But other than that, I know almost nothing. Tell me about Jazz Butcher. Well, I don't know too much other than I've... Uh, oh, why, well, you chose this one for a reason, well, right? Well, I do know, yeah. So, uh, Pat Fish, who is the Jazz Butcher, he just passed away, uh, I think, last week or the week before. Buried, I didn't hear so. a word about that. Yeah. It, it kind of, you know, I mean, he's he's got a kind of a cult following, so people that follow him, you know, were lamenting it and knew right away, but but uh, otherwise, I don't know how you would have heard, you know? Yeah. I, and. But it, it, the internet, right? I mean, like yeah. every once in a while, someone will be like, so-and-so died. I'm like, I've never even heard of that band. Yeah. Uh, but I've at least heard of Jazz Butcher, but I had no idea. Pat Fish, you say? Yeah, that he was the main guy. He had rotating members, I think, over the years, but yeah. he was the Jazz Butcher. And uh, and he's very prominent in my Halloween playlist. Always there's maybe three, four or five Jazz Butcher songs that, that fit for me. Before we dive, yeah. dive into the song, how many songs would you say are in your Halloween playlist? I can look right now. Well, you, I mean, oh, look, at you got your computer in front of you. And again, I'm not looking for bragging. I'm not looking for modesty. I just... 148. Okay, very good. And that's this year's or that's all time? That's I just keep adding to it. But I don't, add more, than, do. I don't add more than a song or two every couple of years. I mean, it's just... Well, because, there. I mean, it's got to be good enough, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm right there with <laughs> you, man. I'm right there with you. What's the name of this one? Uh, the Jazz Butcher Meets... Count Dracula. Jazz Butcher on The Brian Oak Show.
boys are screaming about and rattle the chains. And nobody would stay there if they had any brains. But I was told it was a party and I had no shame. No one knew it shouldn't be there. Just the same, there was a ring of a bell. which makes it almost impossible to find out anything about the American R&B and soul outfit called The Verdicts. But that song comes from 1961. And there was a time, Dean, and I know that you'll know about this because you're a collector of 45s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and finding a weird, rare, unusual 45, 
I work at a record store now, right? And so whether it's a 45 or a full length, whether it's new or impossibly old or whether, you know, Julie London's calendar girl, whatever the case may be, when you find that thing, you're like, oh, that shit's mine. You know, and sometimes it's 99 cents and you're very lucky. Yeah. Other times it's like, am I going to spend $32 on this? And if you hold it long enough, the answer's already been made up, right? So the verdicts are from that era. When we go back to the late 50s and early 60s, I don't know if you can credit any one song, the Monster Mash or anything else with it. But at some point, every single band that was trying to make it popularly, even if they were just like barely cracking the charts or not cracking the charts at all, you were required. It was obligatory. It was de rigueur, in the words of our French friends, that you do some sort of Halloween novelty song. And that is such a rich, deep vein that uh, almost to be like quicksand, like there's more out there than you could ever find. Yeah. I've got a a Burt Convy Halloween song. Oh, I've got a, Merv Griffin did a couple or did one. No Wait, I know, I know that yeah. he did music, but yeah. thinking of Burt Convy, who yeah. most people would recognize as the overly handsome, dimpled host of game shows yes. and whatnot, to think of Burt Convy having to do a Halloween novelty song is yeah. almost unthinkable. The Monsters Hop. Really? Yeah. Well, and again, everyone was looking for the variation on it. Yeah. It's not unlike that Christmas single in the UK every year. A band was looking for something that would catch, that would be the hook, that would, and Halloween worked yeah. for a lot of people. And even if you didn't chart, even if you didn't get successful, you might get a song like The Verdict's The Mummy's Ball played on a regional radio station <laughs> for a couple months or a month even, or maybe even just once or twice during the Halloween you're season. Just, you're looking for that that hit. You're looking for that novelty hit is yep. what you're doing, you know, and and... Some of them hit, some of them didn't. Well, the vast majority of them are not the Monsters Mash, but if you go back out there and look through that vein and you start doing some real digging, there are thousands, thousands upon thousands. Yeah. Before we move more into Halloween music, which we have a couple more great ones to play for you, we should mention Palmer's Bar. Palmer's Bar is an establishment that has been there for decades on the West Bank. Now, let's be clear. The West Bank has undergone radical transformation Really again and again and again, not just recently, many times over the decades, you know, you think back to the 60s where it was as important a folk destination for the upper Midwest as Greenwich Village was for the East Coast, right? I mean, the West Bank was the bit, man. Part of it was the U of M, but it was just the place. And its nature and stature and focus and aspect has changed so many times over the decades, but it's not gone, right? I mean, we lost the Triple Rock, but we still got, what did they change the name to? Part Wolf across the street from Palmer's? Yes. Yeah, Part Wolf. <laughs> yeah, Part Wolf. Still not crazy about that yeah, name. Just weird. Palmer's, however, has been there for a long time, and another Twin Cities stalwart, uh, Tony Zaccardi, has become the proprietor there. He, at the unfortunately, at the birth of a pandemic no one saw coming, bought himself a bar and managed to survive, and they've had great outdoor shows throughout the course of the summer and into the fall, and although I think that their, their patio portion of their program has come to an end for the year they're going to continue to be able to have people on the patio and hang out there this is an amazing destination it's right near my neck of the woods the west bank it deserves your patronage so does tony and all the good people who work from home over there so palmersbar.net to stay on top of everything that they're up to dean vaccaro you uh have been doing music and being around music you've been i mean like like the nightclub life like rogue nightclub right, right. so i only know it because 
Tony Erickson, who is a good friend of mine. I've known him since I was 10 years old. He was working there for a while. Right. There were a handful I of I hired you. him there. I don't, I'm not surprised <laughs> to hear crazy. that at all. Yeah. What were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah. But I mean, Rogue was also sort of a unique beast in that it was in the basement of the Lumber Exchange building, right? right? That's not normally where you would have a nightclub. How did Rogue, I mean, again, and this is the elevator version of this story, because yeah. don't have that much time. How did Rogue come to be? Oh, uh. That's well, too long a story. Yeah, it is. I'll have you back another time. Then the, yeah. you know what? Maybe I'll do is I'll have you and Tony back because then Tony can add some weird, bizarre, made up parts <laughs> of the story as well. But I mean, like, so I mean, you're there. You've worked at so many of the nightclubs in the Twin Cities. Done so much music. When did record collecting become important to you? Well, before I was DJing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what got me into DJing too. Is you know, I men- failed to mention that before I was hired at a club um, and I was playing in bands and whatever, I was also um, bringing you know records to the you know, to the house party, you know, and I was basically home DJing, you know, just with a cassette deck and a turntable. Because you were a record guy. Like, I, I mean, was like, already a record guy. I was the guy in the dorm that had all the records, right? So, you know. You and, and I fell in love with record collecting when we were both young, but during the time where records went away, neither you or I probably sold a single one of our records. Oh, no. And we no, kept no, no. looking for them. Oh, yeah. But they were gone, and then they'd come back. Yeah, and part of that was being the record collector that I am, but also part of it was I, I hung on to... uh DJing with vinyl long past the time that I should have, but yeah. it was just because that's what made me. I mean, it, my, I was, you know, I had that collection, I had that music, and at the time, most of it was not available on CD or digitally. Right. So I still had an edge that way, but but I had to keep playing vinyl to keep that edge, you know. Well, and it never entirely went away. It clearly became a lot less fashionable right. once CDs came along. Once there was, especially the digital music came along. Right. Nobody thought about it. I mean, you, there are records now that will cost you hundred and fifty dollars. That at the time, you people couldn't give them away. They were they were literally twenty five cent records. Right. And so for me, working at a record store, it's startling to watch. Yeah. Like people come in, they're like, "I bought this for twenty five cents." I'm like, "Well." Here's $175 for, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, it's as long as they're in good shape and it's the right record, like not everything old is valuable, but the right things at the right time, it's kind of the way the world works. Yeah. The, it's the internet that changed all that, to be honest with you, because right. you can look up, you, you know what the records are going for online, whether mm-hmm. it's eBay or Discogs or whatever else. And so that's what they're getting priced at now in these record stores. It didn't used to be that way. They'd LP would be priced for four bucks or yep. three bucks, a, you know, 12 inch single would be priced for two bucks. And just doesn't matter what it is. That's when you could go find, you know, crate digging and find some really good stuff. Now the stores know what they have. Well, and stores they, do know, but but not everyone knows what they have. So, like, if you go to flea markets, if you go well, to the yeah. occasional antique store, right. you can still occasionally find that bizarre unicorn, right? Yeah. You can find that diamond in the rough, but it's it's never been more difficult than the old days. Yeah, and it's harder harder and harder for me to find stuff in places like that because I have it all. I mean, there's not much that I'm looking for. Right. And if it is, it's not going to be found for a dollar in an antique store. And I it's just not. I can't. <laughs> I, I, I rarely buy stuff on the Internet only because unless you can hold it in your hands and see that it's clean, see that the cover looks like that. I mean, like everyone's like near mint. Yeah. Very good. Whatever. Yeah. It's hard for me to buy something over the Internet. So I kind of wait until it comes into my purview before I can really sure. pull the trigger. Well, on you're it. lucky to be at Mill City Sound because, I mean, a lot of stuff is going through there. There's a lot of stuff. Going <laughs> a lot of stuff going, and the, and it's cost prohibitive to work there. Yeah. It really yeah is. I mean, I, I, I envy that, though. I mean, but for this. You know, I'd have the same trouble you do, for mm. sure. Yeah. Let's hear another Halloween okay. song. So I've let you pick the last few. This one's going to be mine. This is one of my all-time favorites. And again, I have genuinely terrifying, frightening music in my collection. But for me, Halloween is also fun. Like, I like 
to, that people should be a little out of their comfort zone, right? I like them to be a little bit scared, but I also love a good story, right? And so for me, one of the greatest jazz vocalists, and I don't pretend to go deep on jazz, but K-Star, she's white, right? And even Ella Fitzgerald said, this is one of the only white girls who can possibly sing the blues, right? I mean, Ella Fitzgerald loved K-Star, and K-Star has an incredible voice in here. She's working with a couple of different combos, but they're telling the tale of what happens when Halloween grows close and what happens when the Headless Horseman approaches. so much. I love this music so much. And so having a kindred spirit in Dean Vaccaro, uh, who also loves this music, this aspect, everything about it. And again, I can listen to the dark stuff, but there's something about the storytelling stuff that I think adds to the, you know, I mean, it is a, it is a holiday for kids, but it's also a holiday for adults. And it's also a holiday where everyone's just a little out of their comfort zone, regardless of age range. I love it, man. Right. 
It's one of my favorites. Before we wrap things up and hear one more song from Dean, we do have to do a quick rundown. Thanks to AudioQuip, who provided all the audio equipment for the Smart Start MN studio. Thanks to Smart Start MN. Without them, we are literally nothing. Thanks to Palmer's Bar. Thanks to our good friends at Forgotten Star Brewing. Thanks to all of our Patreon members. Thank you, Sean Bernard. Oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> Why do you always make it weird? And good luck next week, all right? Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, it. I've, I've got everything written in the will, so. See if you can get those surgeons to shave off that so-called mustache that you're cooking right How now. How dare you? Unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who listens. We appreciate it. Wrapping up episode 196. We'll be back again next week for sure. But before we go, Dean, uh, we have one more song from you. You have, I mean, you and I both just said, as we were listening to that song, we both have dozens of songs we could fire at each other. We oh, yeah. may try to do this again this year. If not, definitely next Halloween. But do you promise you will come back at least once? Because as much as I love Halloween music, my Christmas music collection is bigger than my Halloween music. Yeah, we've been talking about doing the Christmas show for a while. Uh, long before the podcast yeah. existed, we've been talking about it in we, we, general. We were talking about sitting, you know, or maybe not at Christmas music, but we've been threatening to get together and, you know, just sit around and play music for each other for exactly years bring the egg records over <laughs> yeah. and break out the eggnog yeah. exactly so we'll have you back for a christmas episode for sure maybe one more halloween episode we'll see how the next couple of weeks shake out see how sean's health holds up see if the stash is still there <laughs> actually you know what? i i kind of love it but the fact that you're wearing all golden gophers gear today for their game and the stash you gotta look like a coach, maybe. It, totally. you, got, you got a real coach look going <laughs> on right now. You absolutely so on the sideline. I should bring a clipboard. I've got a Halloween costume right there. <laughs> if you, you get one of those sort of uh, Arby's or Den- Denny's menus looking things that they have, and they cover it up and they oh, yeah. they cover their mouth while they're talking, and then mark <laughs> yeah. things off with the erasable marker right up over the top so they can't see the plays I'm calling. Unbelievable. Good luck to you, Sean. I'll talk to you again soon, <laughs> Dean. Before we let you go, uh, first of all, happy Halloween and thanks for coming in. Absolutely. And this last one. I'm excited to hear because this song mattered a lot to me. Before this band got weird and heavy and the lead singer got deep into drugs and they became sort of one of the main proponents of industrial rock music throughout the 90s, in the 80s, this was a kind of glossy, synthy dance band with a slightly dark edge, yeah. but I, they changed radically over the years, but I think the song probably, even up to and including Jesus Built My Hot Rod and other things, this is the song that anybody roughly our age knows better than any other by them, but I've never heard this version before. Yeah. Uh, I hesitated choosing this song because I only had a couple to pick from, and I thought, I mean, this is a little too obvious, you know? I mean... It, it's, but, I mean, like, who's heard this before? Well, this version makes it unique, obviously. I, I, I'm not even sure. It's it's from a 45, a very limited 45 that might have come with a box set or something. I'm not even sure. Um, I don't personally own this vinyl, but um, but it's a great, re- fairly recent like within the last couple of years, he did it. Um, Wait, so it wasn't just uncovered. He re-recorded it oh. in this way recently? Yes. Wild. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that he had the wherewithal still. I, I've heard such crazy rumors about Alan Jorgensen that yeah. I was worried that he was gone forever, but apparently still very much with us. Yeah, and they've been re- reissuing some stuff like, um, like uh, a live show from like 83 or something. Right. And he's kind of touching on it a little bit. Uh, maybe, maybe he needs the money or I don't know, but he isn't quite as... You know, and they did some new uh, last year. They did new remixes of Every Day is Halloween, too, um, that are that are 80s. I think they were like new. They said they were newly discovered 
remixes of from course. back in the day. I don't know whether that's accurate or not. You but know, this I, one is. I'll never accuse anybody of being mercenary, like whether or not they need the money. Oh, no. I, I love it when an artist gets far enough away from the thing that sort of made them what they are, that they're not afraid to go back and they talk can about readjust, it. Right. You know, whether it was on the most recent episode of the podcast talking to Tommy Barbarella, finally willing to be able to talk about Prince, or Bob Mould years ago, the first time he was really willing to be able to talk about Who's Could Do again. It, it, it's okay to recognize that there's a reason. Right. I mean, people need to let you grow, but right. there's also a reason that people loved you in the first place. Right. And and I think the people that did love them back then, you know, love that. It's sort of like giving something back to your fans that they want, you know, where, where you've been resisting it for decades. Decades. You know, and right. so, so, uh, so, yeah, I do. I, I think this is a great version and it's not what you expect from Al um, these days, but it's nice. So and, ministry, an acoustic version of Halloween to wrap out our Halloween music episode. Dean, thank you very much. Every day is Halloween. Every day is Halloween. Right. Thank you.